You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. All right, here we go. I am going to start off just g- generic and lead into something. We're used to you starting generically. And I think what that will be is, I'm also going to ignore you. I think what that would be is, um, I'm going to say, what is the weirdest thing that you've been criticized for? The weirdest? I, I'm not even sure. That, see, when you're like me, you get criticized so little, uh, you know, that it's it's difficult to, you know, that, that's a difficult question to answer. So when you're like think, me, you get criticized so much. And so it's difficult to know where to start. <laughs> well, when you're like me, the two guys that you podcast with are your worst critics. So, I mean, that also falls into play, but that's not what we're talking about here today. So what is the weirdest thing as a pastor? I'm going to say it that way. I'm going to be specific here. As a pastor that you have been criticized for, I have a, I have a story and I don't think it would be any, I don't think anyone would even know, but it's a, it's a unique story where in one day, I was criticized for being a shallow preacher. And in the same day, I received a text message from a very, a very genuine text message, by the way, from a gentleman in our church who was 40 years in ministry who said, I really appreciate the study and the depth that you give us when you preach. It was all in the same day. And I, I literally looked at that on my phone when that second text message went in. And I said, you know, I think that the devil's trying to criticize me. The Lord's trying to encourage me. And I just need to move beyond this and take, uh, who, was it Tom Malone's um, advice? You know, or no, that was brother, that was Lee Robertson. Die to self, die to criticism, die to praise, die to all of that. Yeah, but I don't necessarily on. agree with that. I, I understand what he's saying, but. Sure. If you sure. if you die to criticism entirely, I think that's. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves in the conversation. But um. no, no, I, I don't think so at all. I, I actually am glad that you disagree with me because it makes for a good podcast. So anyway, what's well, the, I think weirdest the weirdest thing? criticism I had? That's you know that's coming to mind, and I'm sure there's other things. But I had someone who gave me like a detailed rundown over the previous three or four weeks of the different ties that I wore, and they didn't like certain ties. And, you know, that's that they didn't, that just rolled off my back. It wasn't anything. They were hurtful, serious. But it was just kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. So and, they were, uh, as a pastor, they thought you should tone down your tie choice or were they outdated? What, what was the criticism? Now I want to know if I agree with it. I don't know. I mean, my fashion cannot be toned down. I, I you know, I heard it once said <laughs> that, you know, gray is never out of fashion because it was never in fashion. Did Margaret um, Thatcher say that? <laughs> no, no. Actually, where the quote comes from is is something that was uh, in my youth that I won't even repeat. But because um, <laughs> I'd be I'd be criticized for it. Um, but yeah, so no tone down. That's definitely never the issue. It, it was just simply a preference of color. I think it was just an odd, odd criticism. Right. That's why when I first started pastoring, I I, I love Christmas. It's as a as a person, I love Christmas. I love the Christmas season. And my first year pastoring. I got the bright idea of moving the Lord's Supper table aside and putting a Christmas tree right there Ooh. because I thought it looked good right in front of the pulpit. And We're get lettuce. This is way back in the 90s, so I'm dating myself. But And to make matters worse, this is pre-Maneer, so twinkling lights didn't bother me. It had twinkling lights, and the Christmas tree revolved in a circle. Oh, that's right? awesome. <laughs> and I wasn't even married, so you have to factor this in, right? This is my 26-year-old wow. self's idea of a cool thing at a church decoration. But 
you know, to take me then to the passage in Jeremiah and tell me that I'm an idolater that I felt was just, you know, yeah, yeah, invalid. Yeah. You know, you could <laughs> criticize my taste, but I don't <laughs> think you could criticize it as being idolatry. That that might be the weirdest thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because the the reality of it is is that criticism is part of the job. And Tom, you alluded to it a few minutes ago, and I think that that's kind of the direction we want to take the conversation. And that is is that criticism is not all bad and it's not all good. You have to take it with with some sense of value. You have to accept it, um, but you also have to identify where you might be going into one ditch or the other on either side of the road and taking things too far. And so we want to talk today about this subject of criticism from the perspective of our our ministries, but also as believers, how do you how do you take the criticism that you will receive and some that you need to receive, and how how do you use that to better yourself for the glory of God? I mean, those are those are things that I, I don't want to be crushed. I don't want to be destroyed when someone says something negative about me because if I if I allow myself to be that vulnerable, then quite frankly, I'll never make it. I mean, just the, the cost right. of doing business is you will get feedback and that feedback sometimes will come across harsh and critical. But you don't want to have a, a skin that's so thick that you're a rhinoceros that nothing affects you or moves you sure. or improves you either. And trying sure. to trying not to be cynical while being sensitive to the Lord without being a pushover and a wimp and, you know, a jellyfish and, you know, whoever yells at you last, you just do what they say. You know, that that's a hard balance to strike sometimes. Yeah. So how do you how do you filter criticism? How do you determine what is helpful, what is not, and how do you take it? Even even maybe the kind of criticism that you don't want to hear or that is is given with some sense of, of harshness, how do you take it and use it for good and not for bad? I think you filter it. Um, I think there's several answers to that question. One is you have to filter it biblically is what they're saying, mm-hmm. you know, according to the word of God. Um, one is I think you have to filter it according to how well someone knows you. So if someone who who doesn't is not in my church, but who hears my sermons online, writes me a critical note, it may help me. It may be correct, but I don't take it as seriously as someone I pastor. Does that make sense? So that person's relationship with me, um, the person who I take the criticism from the most, and I don't mean they criticize me the most. I mean, I accept it the most is my wife, right? Sure. She knows me. She loves me. She's on my side. Um, mm-hmm. She's godly. She's spiritual. So I think I think those sorts of things have to factor into how you filter who you listen to criticism from and who you don't. Yeah, I so think the more you, you your... care about someone, the, the more Go you ahead, care Martin. about someone, the more you care what they think. And so I, I think that's you know definitely plays a factor. Yeah. So how do you how do you make your church member? You know, you mentioned the wife aspect, and to me that there's a broader application there, and and I would agree with you, Tom, because if my wife says something. My wife is very, well, she's, she's good about it. She doesn't just lamb blast me, you know, and if I ever ask her and say, you know, how was that today? Do you guys do that, by the way, on the way home from church? Do you ever say, so how was I it? I don't. Uh, we, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is awesome because she'll be honest. She'll go, oh, I thought it was good. And if she says that, she means it. That's all she has to say about it. But every once in a while, she'll look at me and she'll flat out lie. And she'll go, oh, it's good. And the tone is different. I just look at her and she just smiles and I'm like, okay. And, uh, and I have to, I do have to pull it out of her, which I'm thankful, <laughs> thankful that I have to pull it out of her, uh, cause she could be very honest, but, but you mentioned the wife aspect of the spouse there, but I think that Martin, you even took it a little step further, right? So when people are on your team, you want to hear from them. You want to know how can I better facilitate the success, whether it's a, a Sunday service or a week schedule with your staff 
or if it's if it's just anything you're doing, you know, the vision that you have for your church, w- how do you draw a boundary there to where you bring people onto your team? You bring that church member onto your team who maybe he's not the most supportive, but he does have some good things to say. And, and maybe you've got someone who over here is very supportive, but they're not likely to give you their opinion uh, or share with you what you really need to hear. So how do we do better at that as pastors? How do we bring people in and hear what we need to hear with our with our church members, our staff, and even our families? I think there's a balance. I mean, you don't want to be surrounded by yes men, knowing that everything yes, you ask them. They- <laughs> <laughs> My flesh does, but go ahead. You're yeah. right. You're right. Well, you know, so you've got on the one hand, if you surround yourself with people who are only ever going to agree with you, then you're not going to grow. You're not going to see faults and improve them. Um, you're not going to get fresh ideas. But by the same token, if everyone disagrees with you all the time, I mean, that you're not going to move forward with that either because they'll see fault where there is none. And so, you know, like with a lot of things, I think it's a matter of balance. I think you need to agree or be in agreement at least with the, the common goals that you have as a church. If you've got people around you who their primary goal is to feed the hungry, but your primary goal is to see the lost come to Christ and be discipled, you know, you're, you're not pulling in the same direction. And so the criticism... Criticism could be valid, but it's irrelevant. So I think knowing your common goals is is a big part of who you allow into that inner circle. That's a really perceptive illustration because (laughs) in my experience, the people who criticize aspects of church ministry the most, and of course we're pastors, so this is the world we live in. This applies to other people in other areas. But the people who criticize aspects of ministry the most are the people who serve the least. And their their Mm. sense of what is important is different than mine. And I had a guy in my office one time, it was just shortly after I got to Chicago. I did not know at the time that he had given one third of the church's offerings the year before. Um, But he was criticizing um, the way the previous pastor to me went soul winning. And I didn't go soul winning with him. I wasn't the pastor. I I wasn't in part of the church then. And this man in my office criticizing the last pastor soul winning had not gone soul winning with me. But he was very upset about how that was done. And I asked him, I, found, I let him talk for a while. And then finally I said, how much time have you spent soul winning? And I called his name. And he said, well, he said, we went together once. Uh, I said, have you done it besides that? He said, no. He said, but I've, I've read a lot about it. And I looked at him and I said, you can read about riding a bike and research about riding a bike and maybe even ride a bike once, but you're not really going to understand it until you have set out to do it on a regular, consistent basis. Yeah. And so his criticism was invalid because his priority was wrong. In, in what he was trying to accomplish, his sense of, as you said, Martin, you know, reaching people for Christ was so low and his sense of this other thing so high, his criticism, I, I didn't think it was valid. Is that what you call here in the colonies an armchair quarterback? Did you just say colonies? Are you well, serious? Yeah. <laughs> just, just a point of reference, you know. Oh, my goodness. I needed that <laughs> this morning. Don't, hey, don't, don't, don't take that as a criticism. Oh, I do. I do. Absolutely. Well, okay. Getting back to what you're saying. <laughs> but yeah. Tom, so they're, they're not actually doing the work, but they're willing to criticize it. But it, but his spiritual gift was, was obviously giving. Yes. No, I mean, realistically, yes, because I talked to other pastors he, whose church he attended later um, and, and he gave very generously. That was, that was part. And I don't know, maybe he's one of those guys who gave when wanted, wanted opportunities to influence and control as a result of giving. That's a whole nother conversation. But but I think my point in response to Martin's Martin's point there was people whose value system is different, their sense of priority is different, their criticism, what they think is important to change 
is not important to change for you. So it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's that you're looking at things from two different perspectives because you value things differently. And understanding that helps you to realize people who criticize don't necessarily need to be listened to. Well, but it, but it also, okay. Now, when, when you're talking about this, my mind immediately goes to the seven spiritual gifts of Romans 12. And I understand evangelism is not a spiritual gift, so I don't want to get off in the weeds as far as that goes. It's just, just an illustration here is that as I've studied the spiritual gifts, I've often noticed how the prophet and the mercy giver might not get along. You know what I mean? I mean, you've got a guy over here who everything to him is black and white. He's a visionary. He's the prophet. He's the one who just says it the way that it is. You have someone over here who's a mercy giver and their spiritual gift is mercy. And they're not going to take very kindly to the bluntness or to the uh, directness of the prophet when they're trying to counsel someone through a very difficult situation. I think the key is that we have to learn to appreciate other people's spiritual gifts. And then as pastors, now, now transitioning into our field of work, we also have to help people to understand that it's not just their responsibility to nurture their primary gift, but we're accountable to all seven of those gifts that are listed in Romans chapter seven. We have to listen, we have to learn them. And you know, that, I don't know that, that to me kind of factors into this conversation. I end up being critical of people who don't see things the way that I see them. That's where I find myself the most critical because I go, they just don't get it. They don't understand my job. They don't, they don't know what I have to go through to do this. Well, the fact is, is that I may not understand theirs as well. And so there's right. a classic example there of someone who they prioritize giving and because God's given them the ability to do that. Um, and Tom, I may be reading your illustration completely wrong. I'm just kind of going off of what I'm hearing, but they don't prioritize the aspect of evangelism because they're focused on their singular one strength and they're not looking the, beyond that. There's a dynamic there of being a pastor because sometimes the criticism we have to step back and say, okay, is this a criticism of me or of the church? Is it a matter of of balance and say, okay, yeah, that's a valid point, but this is how, you know, this is the life cycle of the church we're in at the moment. So the, here's the reason. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think this is where we're thinking of criticism, both in, in terms of how do we receive it and how do we give it? And in the receiving of it, we sometimes, well, I think we always need to step back and say, okay, exactly what do you mean by this and get some clarification. And I think that will reveal, okay, they have a passion for this. I need yeah. to take it on board. This is their gift. So, you know, I, how, how do I then work this into the ministry of the church? Yeah. I think your point too, we were talking before recording this morning, your point about, um, is this criticism about uh, an issue or is it about a person. And so often when someone criticizes an issue, we take it as if they're criticizing us as individuals. Right. And we react mm-hmm. as if, you know, the knife is coming into our back when it's not. It's mm-hmm. meant to be constructive in the sense of here's an area where, you know, we think we could grow in, but we take it as in you've attacked our integrity, our sense of judgment. And and I think a lot of that goes back to humility and our sense of, you know, of, of pride and being touchy and that sort of a thing. Um, sometimes it's because criticism is ill-formed when it's given. And that goes again to your point, Martin, about being clear in your criticism. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think the longer you think, I think the longer you think criticism through before you give it, mm-hmm. generally speaking, the clearer it is when you give it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and two, your, your um, story made me laugh because I, re, I, re, I looked it up as we were sitting here. D.L. Moody's quote on um, evangelism where he was criticized by someone for how he did evangelism. And he said, it's clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raised some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism. 
but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> right. And that, that is so classic, but it, it, there's a lesson in it. Like it wasn't just a pithy response, right? There's a lesson there that sometimes the person that we're criticizing, and this is not a defensive statement. This is something that I have to take into, into account. Sometimes the person that we're criticizing is no happier about their performance than we are. They're struggling through it. They're trying to learn. And as a result, we may not, we may, we may not be helping them by bringing it in a critical tone. So how do, how do we then, I know we're, we're kind of all over the board on this and we have a little bit of a whiteboard of how we wanted this conversation to go. And that's already out the window. So maybe we could talk a little bit about how to constructively help people. Our job, by the way, is to exhort, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Some might take that as criticism. I have a gentleman in our church. He's hilarious. And most of the time after every Sunday morning sermon, he says to me, he says, you do know there are other people in the room that you can preach to, right? You do know that I'm not the only guy here. And we laugh a little bit and, uh, and that kind of thing. But I think there's, there's a lot of wisdom given in the Bible about how to offer criticism. Sure. And, you know, a few verses that I jotted down, you know, I think um, in Ecclesiastes 5.2, it says, Be not rash with thy mouth, let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. You know, and I think this this hastiness, this rashness sometimes to blood out a criticism, we could avoid causing problems if we step back and we take some time and say, okay, exactly what is it I want to say, not criticizing in the heat of the moment, and even taking the person aside to deal with it rather than, you know, and I love that looking at um, Aquila and Priscilla recently, yeah. they when they noted that Apollos was doing a good work, but his message was incomplete. They didn't stand up in the crowd and say, heretic, heretic. You know, they they took him to the side and the wording of it almost seems like they took him out for a meal. They went down yeah. to Chipotle and they were just like, hey, Apollos, hey, good man. word. But, um, you know, this is, this is what, you know, you need to know. And I just love that approach. And so it was constructive criticism. Yeah. I think, you know, Paul's statements speak the truth in love. When you, mm-hmm. when this, this is sort of the, the flip side of the coin of when you filter it, when it comes towards you, does this person love me? Do they have a genuine care for me? So the flip side of that is when I'm offering criticism to someone else, it, I have to examine my heart and make sure it's not because I'm having a bad day, because I'm mad, because I didn't get something I thought I should get. It's not a reaction about something about me. It's that I genuinely care about them and I want to see something improved or something fixed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think, that's I think as well, asking... Maybe the first question we should ask is, is it my job to criticize this person um, who are thou to judge another man's servant? And I, I've had to learn that on social media. I'm still learning it. I see stuff. Ooh, I'm yeah. ready to respond. And then I'm like, wait, this, this isn't my job. This is, uh, this is none, of my, none of my business. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate the application to social media there, Martin, because in that particular arena, um, it's so vital that we understand that sometimes we take a, we take a dog by the ear instead of actually adding to it. I've done that before where I've had something I wanted to say, someone put something out and I've completely hijacked their line of thinking. And I, I've had to go back and apologize to a couple of people and say, you know what? I took that wrong. I offered my opinion where maybe I kind of derailed your conversation a little bit. And I just want you to know that I didn't mean anything by it. And, and I think maybe salvaged a relationship or two <laughs> in the process. It is sad we can lose relationships over social media squabbles, but the, that's a good point. You know, is this my fight? Is this my job to criticize in this moment? Um, I agree with that some. And the reason I say some is because it, you are you are correct. Uh, you know, I, I'm not the judge of the, uh, of everything God is. 
right? Mm-hmm. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? That's the that's the passage you used. But the flip side of that is again the 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 idea of of being in the ditch on the wrong side of the road with that one is you interpret that as I can never comment on something unless I'm directly involved. So mm-hmm. the way that has come back at me is you know, Tom, you have no right to write about an issue in someone else's church. You're not a member of that church. Essentially Mm -hmm. saying, because I'm not a member, I have no right to criticize. But I disagree with that biblically. You know, Paul talked about marking those who who walk disorderly, you know, and I don't mean Mm -hmm. I'm setting myself up as an apostle. I'm saying when you criticize, you're not necessarily judging them. Judging in that passage might mean you're taking upon yourself passing out the sentence. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to pass out the sentence, but I am supposed to make judgment calls about things that I may not directly be involved in. I think that's biblical. I think you have to be careful with that. Yeah. Otherwise, you become one of those, you know, Mr. Negative, you know, online guys whose whole ministry is criticizing other people. I won't mention any yeah. names. But uh-huh. so I, I think you have to hold that in balance. I think that that whole sense of, you know, you have to have the right to criticize. I think you have to be a little bit careful with that. Well, but no, I agree. Listen, I, I think sometimes... Sorry, Sorry, go ahead, ahead Stephen. Ah, I knew we were going to do that. <laughs> Let me just say this, though. That's a very hard line to find, what you just described. And that's that's where I'm, I go, well, where, where is the line then? Define, define that area and kind of take some okay. of the gray out of that. All right. I think it, oh boy. two Maybe things. One is, question. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, a very, that's a very good question. And I don't have a thought through answer, but I, I, I give you two answers. Just just thinking through it quickly. One is how clear is this issue in the word of God? Okay. Yeah. How much Fair enough. how how dogmatic is it? How right? The second would be how influential is this individual organization that's taking this position that's wrong? It's not my job to go find everybody who's wrong about everything. That's not that's not my job. But if they're wrong about something and A, it's important, and B, it's influential, and it looks to me like nobody else is speaking up. And again, you got to be careful with that because that can be arrogant. But I, I wouldn't have written the, book, written the book Schizophrenic if it weren't for those things that I thought nobody else was talking about that should have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the difference between criticizing an individual or kind of a one-off situation um, or looking at trends in Christianity. And like you said, they can be damaging to your church, damaging to the, the, the bride of Christ in the broader sense. And so I think, it, you know, there is that role there for pastors to speak out. Uh, again, there are those who only criticize and I won't call out any names. I mean, for, you know, without wanting to get too specific, let's say that there's a Twitter handle that highlights what they believe to be bad sermons, you know, <laughs> I, oh. I appreciate you leaving that real murky there, Martin. I'm glad so, that, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, no, I, I want to be vague in this, but you know, they, I think oftentimes are being busybodies, you know, they're, they're digging in, they're, mm-hmm. they're setting themselves up as the judge and jury of every man. Um, and I think that's the, the wrong side of what we're talking about. I think looking at trends in general, addressing it and offering constructive solutions is what you're talking about, Tom, in terms of, you know, the books you write and the articles you address. So the, and the thing that I'm thinking of as I as I hear both of you talking here is you've, you kind of covered what was going through my mind. Tom's point is true in the sense that he says, number one, the biblical aspect is, is paramount. Obviously the influence aspect is secondary, but it is, it is a priority. And with that, you know, what you, what you've written about Tom is something that you would have deemed to have been a systemic issue 
that needs to be addressed, that needs to be balanced out. And you, you know, when your book Schizophrenic, you didn't necessarily advocate for the abolition of a movement. You, you advocated for the reformation of a movement um, and some things that need to be addressed. And I appreciate that spirit. The flip side of that, where if we're walking in the spirit, that's good. If we're walking in the flesh, then we have the tendency to turn every issue into a quote systemic issue. Yeah. Yeah. And then we build it as such. We have to build the issue up so that then we can tear down. And Martin, to your point, I think that's what happens online a lot is that suddenly issues are systemic. And we're like, I've never heard of this guy before. I've never heard of this sermon before. But now everybody is accountable for this man. Well, I don't agree with that. And you have to be careful whether you're walking in the spirit uh, to discern whether you're walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh in order for that strategy to be effective, Tom. And you don't want to become, oh, let me just say very bluntly, I don't want to become that guy who thinks he's right about everything and everybody else is wrong. and He's always pontificating. Mm -hmm. Um, Spurgeon has a wonderful quote. It's lengthy. But if you guys, you know, have nothing else to do and you're bored for 45 seconds, let me read this to you. He's talking about critics like this who are always criticizing out of a sense of pride. When a man has a particularly empty head. He generally sets up for a great judge, especially in religion. None is so wise as the man who knows nothing. His ignorance is the mother of his impudence and the nurse of his obstinacy. And though he does not know a bee from a bull's foot, he settles matters as if all wisdom were at his fingers' ends. The Pope himself is not more infallible. Hear him talk after he has been at a meeting and heard a sermon, and you will know how to pull a good man to pieces if you never knew it before. He sees faults where there are none, and if there be a few things amiss, he makes every mouse into an elephant. Although you might pull all his wit into an eggshell, he weighs the sermon and the balances of his conceit with all the airs of a born and bred Solomon. If it be up to his standard, he lays on his praise with a trial, but if it be not to his taste, he growls and barks and snaps at it like a dog at a hedgehog. Wise men in this world are like trees in a hedge. There is only one here and there. When these rare men talk together upon a discourse, it is good for the ears to hear them, but the bragging wiseacres I am speaking of are vainly puffed up by their fleshly minds, and their quibbling is as senseless as the cackle of geese on a common. Nothing comes out of a sack but what was in it, and as their bag is empty, they shake nothing but wind out of it. It is very likely that neither ministers nor their sermons are perfect. The best garden may have a few weeds in it, the cleanest corn may have some chaff, but cavaliers cavil at anything or nothing and find fault for the sake of showing off their deep knowledge. Sooner than let their tongues have a holiday, they would complain that the grass is not a nice shade of blue and say the sky would have looked neater if it had been whitewashed. I don't want to be that arrogant guy. And I would not have wanted to been one of Charles Spurgeon's critics. <laughs> and he faced a whole lot of it when you read his, his biographies. And things, he got hammered, just did. I think there's another element to considering whether or not to be critical. Tom, you're absolutely right. The Bible issue and the influence issue. But I think also that we need to recognize that there are some people not worth criticizing because quite frankly, if you think about Charles Spurgeon, right? Did he not get criticized at every turn? Well, of course he did because the scope of his ministry was so broad, it was going to happen. There have been some times that I've thought, well, you know, I don't appreciate how this particular man does ministry or whatever, but that's where that verse, who am I to judge another man's servant comes in. I go, my criticism bears no weight on a solution. And I might share it in private and without gossiping if I felt like I would, if, if I felt like I could say it in the, in the spirit of, hey man, this, this guy's doing a great job and a great work, 
I would be careful about this one issue, but everything else seems to be very valid and very helpful. You know, that's to me, not criticism. That's me maybe talking to my son or maybe talking to my very dear friend in ministry and us just deciding that we're going to take the good. And as they say, the proverbial statement, eat the meat, spit out the bones a little bit. Um, so, So I think sometimes we have to think, though my criticism may be valid, does God even want me to offer it? This man probably has a hundred other critics with the same thing. And I'm, I don't have to chime in on everything. That's yeah. what our, our problem is today online is that we think we have to chime in on everything. We have to be critical about everything. And I, I just don't believe that's biblical. Yeah, no, I, I, you're right. And, and the older I get, the more I realize that some of the windmills I tilted at when I was younger were windmills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when you're passionate for a subject, though, it can be hard to step back and say, okay, I can't contribute to this, and so my voice doesn't need to be in there. I think we've, we've said several times, and even in this recording, that there's a lot of balance that needs to be found. Um, and, you know, some people aren't worth criticizing because they're not going to listen. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say in commendation for the wise man who listens to re- reproof, but it's, uh, you know, it's a fool that rejects it. And so some people just aren't going to listen. And so you, you just have to let them go on their way. And that reminds me of those, you know, Proverbs, those two right next to each other. Answer not a fool yeah. according to his folly. And then answer a fool, right? It's showing you two sides of that. There are some people who are grievously wrong. They're not going to listen to you at all. And if you get in a, in a tangle with them, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to end up looking as bad as they look. Right. Never wrestle with you, a pig. You, you wrestle with a pig and you end up in the mud. And so there are some people I've chosen not to tangle with publicly for a dollar after this podcast. I'll tell you who they are um, that I think are terribly wrong, but I don't want to associate you can tell us now. Yeah. Oh, Inflation. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> because you just don't want to end up anywhere associated with them in the same arena. And the other thing is people like that are often so bad that you don't have to criticize them. Their own actions yeah. are so egregious it's the statement you give a guy enough rope and he hangs himself. And sometimes mm-hmm. the best thing to do with someone who's so egregiously wrong is just let them be egregiously wrong until everyone sees it. So well, can I summarize kind of my approach to offering criticism? And this is something I've been, you know, if anybody listens to this and they're like, this is not how you do it. You know, these are thoughts I put down this morning. So from now on, whenever this podcast airs, this is how I'm going to attempt to uh, offer criticism. <laughs> So, <laughs> and and because I was in the mood, I alliterated it because I'm a, a Baptist preacher. So first yeah. of all, be be concise. You know, don't beat around the bush. Get to the point. Um, use compliments as well. Acknowledge the good, not just the bad. I do like the praise sandwich. I know not everyone's in favor of it, but being able to say, hey, you did this well. This is a problem, but then this is something else you did well. Uh, be clear. Plan your approach. Do your best to avoid misunderstanding. Uh, it also avoids it being a retaliation. They criticize you, so you criticize them. You know, take a step back. Um, think about whether you're criticizing content or character. And, and Tom, you alluded to this earlier about simply attacking someone's personality. You know, if it's the content of their character, they're lazy, then, you know, address that. But then don't write off everything they do because you don't like them. Uh, let it be constructive. Make it clear that growth is possible. You know, if appropriate, provide suggestions. And then make it a conversation. Don't let it be, you build up, you're so nervous about it, you're anxious, and you just blurt out the criticism and then you run off. Um, mm. You know, stay calm, let it be a conversation. 
And so those are things that I, you know, I've, I've read about and I've tried to condense down into something just for my own personal use. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I agree. I really like that list. And I think that it's very applicable in some cases. For instance, if you, if you're a pastor with a staff, you know, you're going to have to bring people in and say, Hey, let's talk about this. And I like your, um, I like your statement, have a conversation, not a monologue. And that's, that's a good one for me, Martin. I, I know not everybody's going to be the same leadership style. Um, but in, in the approach, and then too, you may with, with a church member or with a friend or something, you may only get one or two of these points in, but you can still find them useful. Right? So we've kind of summarized a little bit of, of number one, we have to discern whether or not it's worth it to be critical. And there's critical in a good sense and there's critical in a bad sense. Mm-hmm. There's critical in an effective sense. There's critical in an ineffective sense. And discerning all of that means that, you know, the way that I'm discerning what we're saying is that I have to walk in the spirit. I have to listen to the Lord and that I might land in a different place based on the situation with how God is leading me in that current situation. So yes, there will be appropriate times to be critical in the sense that we may have to offer our opinion or offer correction, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But the other side of that is facing criticism. And I'm glad we talked about offering criticism first, because I think we're better at that. (laughs) If we're being honest, (laughs) facing criticism, we're terrible at, and that's not just as pastors, but I will say as a pastor, it's incredibly obvious to me how much thinner my skin gets, the more I go along. I'm saying that to be transparent, right? I've always held the philosophy and my grandfather said it, and I've I've always appreciated it, have thick skin and a tender heart. Two different things. You got to have them both. Where I really fall into the trap is, is I, and I believe it's, it's, a, it's a satanic trap, trap. I believe it's spiritual warfare for pastors and leaders and all of that, is that I pretty much take every personal or every criticism personally if I'm not careful. Not all the time, but most of the time, criticism is not offered to me like we just described it. Most of the time, it's offered to me in a list. Here's what you need to work on, pastor. And I'm just, these are things I've noticed and have a good day. And you'd be amazed. Well, you guys wouldn't be amazed, but our listeners would be amazed at how often that list is handed to me or given to me in one form or another, right before I'm about ready to step up into the pulpit. It's just, it's the worst, (laughs) you know, that, that text message or that, that statement, Hey, I need to talk to you. And I've literally gotten into the habit where when people say, pastor, I need to talk to you before church. I go, well, I don't schedule appointments before church because I I reserve that time for prayer and Bible study. But, but I'd be happy to meet with you on Sunday night, or I'd be happy to meet with you at another time. Would that be okay? And I've had some people get mad at me over that, but I'm just acknowledging I can't handle that right before I go up to preach. I think, you know, your point about when criticism offered is helpful, but your larger issue, your larger point that as you go along, you get more thin skinned. Mm -hmm. So humility is essential for every spiritual grace. Mm -hmm. And that's true whether you're accepting criticism that requires humility or whether you're offering criticism that requires humility. One of the mm-hmm. things that happens to pastors, especially, you know, Rudyard Kipling was not a Christian, I don't think, but he makes that statement in the poem. If, if you can talk with the crowds and keep your virtue, virtue, generally speaking, when you're up in front of people and you're consistently getting attention and people are following you and praising you and saying nice things about you and you have influence in their lives, it begins to go to your head. And so many pastors, if their ministry is considered quote unquote successful, the longer they are successful and the bigger their quote unquote success is, the more proud they become and the more Mm -hmm. 
in their own mind, unjustifiably criticized for something that 20 years ago they would have been humble enough to accept oh, at yeah. the risk of alienating people. Let me just mention a name here. I think this is the case with Jack Hiles, for example. Earlier in his ministry, when, when as you know him and I knew him pretty well, he was more prone to accept the criticism that was offered him. By the end of his ministry, he was he was, in my judgment, highly arrogant and unwilling to accept almost any criticism. And that process developed over time. And I think that's an especial danger for men in our position or positions similar to ours. Mm-hmm. And I would use he, the word insecure. Again, mm. at the risk of alienating people. I, I don't want to offer that toward one person. I just want to say what I've noticed is that it's easy to grow insecure in your leadership or in receiving correction the older that I become. And I, I mean, I'm saying that, and I'm the youngest one on this podcast by a long shot. Um, Not much. Uh, but, uh, but the point, the point of that is, is that I don't want to grow into my 60s with the chip on my shoulder yeah. that I've seen develop so easily. And I, yeah. I don't mean that critically toward any pastor. Please understand, I am trying to take, I'm trying to take my cues and and listen and learn now for when I get there, and develop a plan that. Yes, the Lord could completely take it and say, no, that's not the plan that I have for you, and that's fine. But to develop a reasonable biblical approach to my own life as I age and as I get older, I don't want to grow insecure and thus become more proud. Because when you grow insecure, you can either humble yourself or you can grow prideful. There are really only two two options. But if you allow yourself to be pulled in so many different directions that you're not relying on the Lord, it will obviously trend towards pride. So receiving criticism is part of the job. Go ahead, Martin. Yeah, I was gonna, but isn't that such a difficult thing to do to remain humble enough to receive criticism, but confident enough not to be crushed by it? Because hmm. I think that's part of what tends to get to me is there are times when I get, you know, worn down and then something comes along and somebody just says something which is is it's not personal, it's it's not serious, but it crushes me. Mm-hmm. And and with words being, you know, a love language for me, you know, it's something I respond to, you know, there will be days when something will be said and I'll be like, oh, okay, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll take that on board. But there'll be other times when I'm just not secure enough and it will just destroy me. And at that point, I think you start making a decision and you you, you set up trends in your life. Do I take that criticism and deal with it and grow or do I, to protect myself from feeling hurt right. yeah do i become immune to it and then i start right. ignoring criticism right. um and i don't think it's like a a single moment when you take a path but you you develop trends in your life and gradually over time you either you, you move in one direction or another and so that's why i said you know it's hard to remain humble enough to receive but secure enough not to be crushed and hurt by what people say that's well said very much so. So the two extremes that we we might resort to if we're not walking spiritually would be one, to refuse criticism, to refuse correction, to double down. Uh, Martin, you said it earlier, surround yourself with yes men, only hear what you want to hear, protect yourself from the criticism, which results in, it results in an embattled ministry, yes, in my opinion. Yes, it does. But the other side is equally as dangerous where we're constantly running around exhausting ourselves trying to please everybody. Would you not agree that that maybe not, maybe not quite as common as the first scenario, but it's an equally dangerous place to find yourself in. 
Yeah, you know, Paul talks about being rooted and grounded in what you believe. And mm-hmm. if you're rooted and grounded in what you believe, and if a criticism is about belief, doctrine, or practice, which almost every criticism is one or the other, and practice is supposed to flow from doctrine, then if I'm always changing as a result of whoever criticized me last, if I'm overreacting to that criticism, Mm-hmm. I will never develop the stability that is necessary to produce fruit in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, deciding that, I think your point earlier, Brother Russ, was so good about are you walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh? You know, how is your own time in the word of God when it's just you and God, not sermon prep, not listening to a sermon preached, but just you and God? How's your relationship with you and God? And, you know, as he does a wonderful job, the Holy Spirit is the best critic, right? He, mm-hmm. he he knows how to reprove us perfectly, yeah. when, when to comfort, when to reprove. He's so good about those sort of things. And 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 I think the, the more you are genuinely walking in the spirit, to use your phrase, which is a wonderful biblical phrase, I think the better you are at making sure you stay balanced in how you receive criticism or reject criticism or internalize right. and, and move on from it. Right. Well, I, I just know I don't have the, the ability to handle it on my own. And, and it's... I think it's a good day when you realize that receiving criticism is the cost of doing business for pastors and leaders. It just is. You will never, to have an effective ministry, I think you have to always be willing to engage with new people. I didn't say, listen to everything they said. I didn't say, change your ministry philosophy. But if you're having success in ministry, and that's a weird term to use and probably not the right term, but I'll just continue with it since I can't think of anything else. Um, then you're, you're going to be reaching people. You're going to be attracting people. You're going to be working with people. And that's going to bring about a lot of inputs, going to bring about a lot of conversations. And the questions are going to come. Why do you do it this way? Why do you believe that? I've, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And we have that in Evansville. I mean, we have people who come from churches that are so unlike ours in a, in a lot of ways, both philosophically uh, with methods and even doctrine, of course. And so when people come and they're, they always say the same thing. I've had it said, a number of times they say, you know, we're looking for some, a place that preaches the word a little stronger than what we're finding. And I find that interesting. I'm like, really? So the, the whole positive only message is kind of, it's no longer in vogue. People want to hear the truth. They want to hear the word of God. But then along with that come the questions. Well, why do you do it that way? And what does this mean? And, and we've never seen this before. And it's funny because I'll have people tell me, you're the best preacher in town. And I'm not, I'm not the best preacher in town, but I'm saying they'll say nobody else is right doing what Evansville. you're doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Evansville is a small town, but if, <laughs> if they say that, you know, they're saying nobody's doing what you're doing and nobody is preaching it like you're preaching it. And then they leave the next week to go to the church that has, it has the more extensive program base. And it just, I was, I don't know. It's always, it's something I, I try not to take personal. And I, I think in this case, I don't take it personally, but, um, but you have to be ready to give an answer to every man, not only of the hope that lies within you, but also of the path that you choose to take as a leader. And that's important well, what's that, that we saying that, that. What's the saying that if you don't want to get criticized, just do nothing? I don't know if it yeah, was a president nothing, or a preacher or someone. You know. yeah. But yeah, I mean, as soon as you set, set out to do something, you are inviting criticism. And, and that can be a difficult thing as a pastor. If you're trying to please everyone and avoid any criticism and you want to get a hundred percent consensus every time, then yeah. you end up doing nothing because your fear becomes opposition. Well, exactly. And so I heard, I heard brother Treber say when I was in college and actually I heard it from someone else that he said it. Another pastor was saying, 
I got some advice from Brother Treber, and he said we were raising money for a building program or whatever. And um, Pastor Treber was big on fundraising, and he was very effective at it. I mean, he, he knew how to do it, and he was effective at it, and he was successful in that area, and uh, is successful in that area. And um, the man said, oh, I just don't know if I can ask people to do this. You know, I might lose people. And Brother Treber's response for what it for for what it was worth, he said, "Good." And the man looked at him like, uh, and he goes, no, he said, you have to decide what kind of church you want to pastor. And then you have to go forward graciously down that path. He said, I've decided that I want to pastor a church that is building and growing and yes, giving. And he said, some people are not going to like your approach to that. You have to be okay. Not arrogant, not belligerent. I mean, that Spurgeon quote was fantastic. Not Mm -hmm, belligerent. You just have to be okay and secure in the ministry path that God calls you to go down. So I'd like to shift gears for a moment a little bit and and come back to this idea of, we're still talking about receiving criticism, but when you're criticized and it hurts very deeply in a personal way, mm. because that does happen, not just to us, it happens, I think, to everybody at one time or another. You know, you go to family reunion and somebody says something about your, you know, your kids and you take that, very, and it just hurts you very deeply personally. How do you process that? What's the biblical way? What's the, what's the, what's the way we should respond to those criticisms that hurt so deeply? Throat mm-hmm. punch. I, I go hunting. Fruit punch. Is that what you said? <laughs> no, no, you said throat punch. Throat <laughs> punch. <laughs> like fruit punch. What's fruit punch? <laughs> throat punch. That makes sense to me. Yes. You just you just Martin. drown your sorrows in Kool Aid <laughs> sugar highs. Yeah. No, no, throat punch. No, uh, let me very quickly come back and say, no, don't punch people in the throat for criticizing your kids. For the most part. I mean, like 99% of the time. Stephen, maybe you should take this. I've taken it on the wrong track. Oh, no, I said I go I go hunting and kill things. And that's, right. that's it. So, <laughs> so now, coincidentally, animals, you said you're animals. trying to go coincidentally you kill things. Yeah, you're, you're going hunting. How often between now and Thanksgiving as we record this? Like 15 as, times. So it must be a hard as, season of criticism yeah. for you. Yeah, there will, there will be no recording podcast between now and Thanksgiving. Um, no, <clears throat> Nothing uh, seriously. So how, how do you answer criticisms when they're personal? When, mm-hmm. you know, so when they're not constructive and you feel like the intent behind them is too, is too hurt. Is that what you mean? Yes. Is that what you said? Because they do hurt. Oh, man. I let think me, right let me th- do. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're up. I think, I think the book of Psalms is a great answer to this. Mm-hmm. Right. So much of what the psalmist expresses is, you know, my enemies have gone after me with words and it hurt him deeply. The book of Psalms is highly emotional. Um, but David responds as most most of the time with silence, doesn't say anything publicly in response. I think that's a really important thing when someone hurts you deeply not to respond publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does David do? He takes his pain to the Lord. Right. And. And the Lord is his refuge. The Lord is his fortress. The Lord is his strength. Um, yeah. That would be, that would be, uh, I don't want to just answer my own question. I want to know what you guys think, but that's, that's where I think I would go with it. I think that's where you have to go with it. When you consider that it's intentionally hurtful or it's just out of line entirely. The other thing is, is that someone told me, and I don't remember who said this and probably it wasn't original with them, but you know, even in that even in that hurtful, critical, antagonistic criticism that you might receive, you do need to seek whether or not there is any truth to it. That would be a humble thing to do. 
at the same time, you consider the source. Yeah, I, I had a guy in my office four or five years ago, pre-COVID, all that. And young guy, good guy, but he wanted to talk to me about my preaching. And I thought, I, well, th- and that's that's hard for a pastor because you go in completely defenseless. It's like, well, how how am I going to answer this? You know? Um, and he got to a point where he said, you know, we just feel like there's there's too much application. And I went, really? I said, in my mind, I went, yes, because I do believe we fall short in the application where I think we get off base as we maybe make it all application and not enough exposition. Right. But I knew I was doing a lot more exposition than normal. So I thought, great. You know, in my mind, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And he was going through, he said, there's just, you know, we just want this depth. We want this. And, and then he said, like John MacArthur. And I, when he said that, this relief washed over me because I knew my answer. And I just looked at him and said, oh, I said, brother, I cannot compete with that. I didn't criticize John MacArthur. I didn't come back to it. I recognize the man is 80 plus years old now and has, at least for in his lane, has stayed faithful. And I said, oh, man, I said, you know, I don't have anything to say to that. I said, because I just simply can't compete with that. It took the pressure off of me because I realized that this guy was looking for something that I couldn't give him. And I went, well. Now I don't have to worry about it because God's not equipped me to give him what he thinks he needs. You know, I have my opinion about what I think the man needed, but I had to realize this guy was looking for something that he wasn't going to find. He was just going to have to get online and watch his favorite preacher. <laughs> you know, this hard. Yeah. so, so that, you know, I don't know. That's, that helps me to, to push that burden off and say, I'm not, it doesn't even bother me anymore because I realized I realized how unreasonable it is. At the same time, I think there's some criticism we face that is kind of like, um, what's that guy? Was it Shimei? Yes. David's critic who just walked along the ridge and threw stones at him and cursed him and all of that. Man, it really is hard to take David's position on it. But David said, you know, it might be the, the Lord's trying to teach me something through this. I find there's a, a phrase of Spurgeon's or saying of his that I keep coming back to, and, and it's the exact wording is maybe slipping my mind. But he says something about blessing the wave that causes him to crash upon the rock of ages. Mm. And I think when it comes to those criticisms, which are deliberately hurtful, they're not based in fact. I think what we need to do is we need to recognize that sometimes life hurts. And if we seek a life that doesn't hurt, we we're never going to find it. If our peace, if our joy, if our feeling of of uh, of whatever is based upon not being hurt ever then we're never going to be content. And so it can be someone who wounds us deeply. That's a part of being in a fallen world. And if it causes us to lean more heavily upon the God of all comfort, well, then, you know, that's that's a part of the world in which we live. Mm-hmm. Amen. Which is not to belittle it, because I know it does hurt deeply, but I don't think we can avoid it. But what we can do is run to the Lord with it. And I think we ought to distinguish between criticism and accusation. Um there have been some preachers who have taken things in the wrong way. And Tom, you said, I think what you said was right. You said, you can, you can just not answer. You can remain silent and take it to the Lord. Criticism is one thing. If someone says that you're embezzling money at your church, though, you got to set the record straight. I think it's a biblical or appropriate to set the record straight mm-hmm. um, in that sense. So, you know, two different For what things. Worth, I agree with you about that. Yeah. If it's, if it's a matter of your integrity and it's a public attack, I think it. I think it needs a public answer. Um, you know, to to go back to what you were talking about, when your enemies come after you, and we all have enemies. You know, I don't want to overuse that. I don't want to see them under every bush, but we all have enemies. 
And but I have found that our maybe opponents is a is a nicer term. My opponents have helped me because they have jumped on the weak points of my argument. Yep. Um, they mm-hmm. have my church loves me, and I, I say that genuinely. They they have a, they have a love for me, and I ever you know we share that together. Consequently, they will they will often refrain from being critical toward a point in a message that's maybe a little weak, or you know I'm you know not addressing something well. You know they won't point that out. But oh man, you 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 put that out in public, and you have opponents, and they're going to parse through your your writing and your speech and your preaching and your actions yeah. and jump all over something. But that can benefit you, even though their intent is wrong. It can benefit you by by making you strengthen what's a weak point in your own thinking or practice. Yeah, that is very true. And we ought to take that humbly as well. Yeah. You know, sometimes we can we can grow strong on a position to our own faults and or to a fault rather, in the sense we become prideful of our knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. Not correcting you, by the way. I'm just suggesting that there's still that balance of walking in the spirit, no matter which way you slice it. Amen. At every turn, you've got to walk in the spirit. And I re- I do recall, and we we're coming down to the the I think the end of our time. But I recall one guy that was coming and he was coming to our church because his wife liked the church and his daughter was finding friends in the youth group. He did not like, and I don't think he liked any church. I, th- I just don't think he appreciated having any kind of biblical um, ecclesiastical authority in his life. And I remember in the lobby, man, he got me. He got me good. And I, I was preaching through Daniel at the time and I shook his hand. I said, hey, man, I said, you probably know a lot more about this stuff than I do. You know, I was just making conversation. He goes, well, yeah, actually I do. I went, oh yeah, is that right? He goes, and he literally said, he said, oh, I am, I am Mr. End Times Prophecy in case you didn't know. And I went, oh, okay. And now I'm going, uh, and man, he lit me up one side down the other and I was not ready. I was not prepared. It took me so off guard and I'm looking around and there's church staff just watching. And I'm like, you jerks, get over here and help me out of this. I'm trying to shake hands with people. You know, I didn't want to argue with him. And Somebody's not getting their end of your bonus. Oh my goodness. I was so mad, but, uh, it was funny at the end of the day, they all laughed, you know, and I thought, well, okay, yeah, I'll get you back. But at the end of the day, the Lord really taught me that sometimes the devil is going to send criticism into my life that I am just going to be called to take it, not respond to it and learn how to not take it personally and move on and not let it affect my Sunday night sermon. Because what we so often want to do is respond to the one person out of hundreds or dozens or whatever your, your crowd is that day. We want to make our whole emphasis responding to that one criticism we got when there's a whole group of people who are just sitting there being fed. So don't don't take yourself too too seriously. That's I think that's part of the the strategy there. That's part of the dealing with the issue of criticism. And we've talked quite a bit about this during this podcast, but we do want to sum it all up, and we do want to um, make sure that we take the issue and we sh- we kind of give you a summary of what what we've talked about today. And so, Tom Brennan. Why don't you take us away into that summary? Beloved, criticism is a fact of life, and the fact of it must be dealt with. We are fallen creatures living in a fallen world. It then follows that we will sometimes be criticized, both fairly and unfairly, and we will almost certainly criticize others again, at times both fairly and unfairly. What is the biblical approach to this fact? While we do not think we have all the answers, we do think it is important to establish some foundational principles. When we receive criticism, we must respond humbly, considering whether it has merit. While it is fair to filter that criticism through the screens of relationship and love and experience and godliness, it is not fair to exclude criticism entirely 
even from our enemies. In fact, our enemies can help us by showing us the weak points of our own doctrine and practice. What we cannot do, however, in receiving criticism is to embrace it all and respond in a knee-jerk fashion as we attempt to please all and sundry. Such a response becomes a life that is not rooted and grounded in the truth. Receiving criticism is only one side of the discussion. The other side is considering what is appropriate and inappropriate when we offer criticism. And indeed, from time to time, we should offer criticism. How else are we to obey the biblical admonition to provoke one another to love and good works? So it is to be done from time to time. How then ought it to be done? There are some biblical principles that apply here as well. Criticism should be done humbly, realizing we are not the judge of all the earth, nor do we know everything. Criticism should be done in a spirit of love, genuinely caring for the welfare of those we are attempting to help. Criticism should be done clearly enough so as not to be vague, but kind enough so as not to wound the spirit. And criticism should be thought through carefully before it is offered. Our intent here at the Issues Podcast is not to set ourselves up as anyone's judge and jury, but we do desire to sharpen and edify God's people. In that spirit, will you pray for us? That the Lord will allow us to grow as we seek to grow others? And may the Lord use our words to work His will in your life, and your words to work His will in ours. Respectfully, Tom Brennan, Martin Wickens, and Stephen Russell.